from DraftTV.com. And it is the day after round one of the 2015 NFL Draft, so we wanted to check in with just some quick thoughts. We're going to go through all 32 picks extremely briefly. We'll talk about some a little more than others, but we're going to have in-depth review shows coming where we're going to have one for every team. We're going to discuss every single pick, but we just wanted to check in and, and give some of our uh, initial thoughts and impressions. And, and I'll preface it, too, by some of the criticisms they might be reconciled with what these teams do in the second round, the third round, the fourth round, the fifth round, the sixth round, seventh round. There's still a lot left to go. It's, it's, it's tough to evaluate things this early, but we'll just give some initial impressions. So uh, let's get into it, Shane. We're starting off. Number one, as everybody expected, Tampa Bay Buccaneers take Jameis Winston. Uh, I, I don't think there's any doubt. If it were you, would you have considered anybody else, or do you think that was that the way you would have gone? That's the way I would have gone. I think Winston's the best quarterback in the draft. I really like his fit with this offense and with Mike Evans and Vincent Jackson and the like. So I think it was a great pick, and I think Winston has a shot to be really be a franchise quarterback for them with how they're set up right now. Yep, I agree. And in the Buccaneers, hopefully they'll go out and uh, get him a, a blocker or two uh, the rest of the way. But uh, not much to say about that one. I think that was the right move as well. Uh, number two, the Tennessee Titans did take Marcus Mariota, the quarterback from Oregon. Uh, maybe turned down some pretty lucrative trade offers, uh, most notably from the Eagles. Uh, but I, I think the Titans made the right decision. Uh, like I always say, if you don't have a franchise quarterback, you don't pass on one. Uh, Shane, I'm, I'm curious, do you think that they liked Mariota all along? Do you think they kind of talked themselves into it? Do you think somebody from on high came down and said, hey, we're taking this quarterback. We need a face of the franchise. How, how do you think that process played out for the Titans with Mariota? And it's really speculation. I, I have no idea, but I, I can't imagine that he was their guy the whole time to, to take the trade offers, to have those phones open. Yeah, you're always going to listen, um, but you know we didn't hear about trades for the number one pick until an hour before the draft and that the Buccaneers were saying no. Tennessee, it sounded like they were open for trade for weeks try, trying to get someone to move up. Um, now, uh, the the package that was reported by Ian Rappaport that the Eagles offered them was was, was pretty good, um, but you know to, to move all the way down to 20, way too much. So I think it probably they probably saw a hey, quarterback's their biggest flaw. I don't know if, if they were – if Mariota was the number one player in the draft for them or if they liked him over Winston, I'm sure they'll say they did. Um, but uh, but to me, just kind of the lead-up didn't sound like um, that this has been their guy the whole time. I feel like if it was, we would have already known. We would have known seven days ago, 14 days ago, that this was the pick to the Titans and that was it. Yeah, because if you're convinced Marcus Mariota is going to be a franchise quarterback, you don't even – 
consider trading the pick. It's like when Andrew Luck was coming out. There was no way in the world the Colts were going to trade that pick for any price. So I think it was a combination of all those factors. I think they probably became more comfortable throughout the process as they got to know him that he could fit within what they're trying to do. I wouldn't be surprised if somebody uh, maybe higher up in the organization, um, whether directly or indirectly, suggested that we should maybe go with this top flight quarterback and and then also too maybe they saw other teams what they were willing to give up for this guy and they thought hey maybe we should just take him for ourselves we need a quarterback so I think it might be a combination of factors but whatever led to the decision I think it was the right move for the Titans is it a risk sure absolutely Uh, there's no question about it but I think it's a worthwhile risk and one they had Jacksonville Jaguars at number three this is where it gets interesting Uh, I I had him taking Dante Fowler from Florida in my mock and that is the direction they went and I I said beforehand Shane this was going to be a test Value versus need. If they take the best player, you take Leonard Williams. But I think they went to address the need, and I don't necessarily fault them for that because they're pretty loaded along the defensive line. Uh, Other teams I do fault, which we'll get into uh, shortly, but um, a solid pick for the Jaguars. I think it makes a lot of sense on a whole lot of levels. Um, So so solid pick. I I like it. I think he's a great fit for the Leo position. It's something that they did need a lot, even with high team sacks. They weren't getting a ton of pressure last year. And you have you have players that fit where Leonard Williams is going to fit that are, are young or that you've signed for a, a long-term deal with big money. Um, get get a guy that, that doesn't grade out that much lower that you think can make a, a pass-rushing impact and be more of a position of importance for them. I like it. And exactly what the Jaguars have been looking for for – not only this year, probably the last two, three years. Uh, so uh, a really good fit. Now we get to the Oakland Raiders at number four. They took Amari Cooper, the wide receiver from Alabama, who's a very good player. In my opinion, he's not quote unquote special. I still cannot believe the Raiders passed on Leonard Williams, the best player in the draft, a true blue chip prospect, a local kid, premium position, wanted to play for the team. I, I just can't say enough how much, sense it would have made and and like I said, Cooper's a very good player but they have the third pick in the second round there is going to be a really good wide receiver available whether it be Jalen Strong from Arizona State whether it be Doyle Green Beckham from uh, Oklahoma Devin Smith from Ohio State there's there's going to be a receiver I, I I just think they made a colossal error passing on Leonard Williams and if you tell me you can have uh, we'll see who they pick at 35, but I guarantee you I'm going to prefer the combination of Leonard Williams and one of those receivers I mentioned compared to what they actually did. And, you know, they, they did such a good job in the draft last year. When Khalil Mack fell to them at five, they took him. They they hit a home run with Derek Carr in the second round. They they did so good. And, and this year, it seems to me it's like back to the same old Raiders. I, I think they are going to, even if Mari Cooper maximizes his potential, I think they're going to regret passing on Williams. Big blunder in my opinion. I, I'm not quite as low on this as you are. I think you're a wide receiver I'm, lover, though. I am a wide receiver lover, and, and I, I like Amari Cooper more. Uh, ultimately, I think that's it. I mean, he's to me, he's the third best player in this draft, and I had Leonard Williams one. So would I have would I have taken Leonard Williams if I was the Raiders sitting there? Yes. Um, is taking Amari Cooper a bad thing? I don't think so. You think you have a 20 year old? I, I think he's he's better than just very good. I think he has that potential to be an elite wide receiver in the NFL. And even with a really good class like this, if, if, if they really want, I mean, let's be honest, the Oakland Raiders franchise hinges on Derek Clark. Let's be honest about that. And so if you, if you really want to help him, if you think Amari Cooper at 20, 20 years old is going to turn into um, a top five receiver, then I think this pick will work, will work itself out. Um, I think they could regret it. If, if Leonard Williams is everything he's cracked up to be, if he's Gerald McCoy or Dominican Sue, then that's, that's going to be a major problem for them. But uh, I don't think there's any doubt how good Amari Cooper really is. I don't hate it, but I really, really don't like it. <laughs> and if I own the Raiders, I would not be allowing Reggie McKenzie to make that second pick after doing that. I, I just no. think I, I, I can't justify it. I really can't. And, and I like Amari Cooper. I had him as one of like the, I think I had him as the sixth or seventh best player in the draft overall. He's a really good player, but he's not Calvin Johnson. I can understand if this was Calvin Johnson or AJ Green. Then by all means, but I don't. There, there's a much bigger drop off from Leonard Williams to to whoever they're going to get later compared to there is to Amari Cooper to 
Jalen Strong or, or Doriel Green Beckham. In fact, Doriel Green Beckham, I think, could be a better player in the long run. So I just really loathe that pick for the, uh, the Raiders. Uh, Washington at number five. Beforehand, we talked about how sitting at number five, the, the value on the board didn't necessarily mesh up with their main areas of need. So I, I thought this was going to be a logical spot for a trade down. And I thought there'd be some action there. I thought there'd Somebody would maybe want to come up for one of those top edge rushers. Maybe somebody would want to uh, come up for Leonard Williams, who was still unexpectedly available. But in the end, Washington stood pat and took Brandon Sheriff, the offensive tackle from Iowa. Really good player. One of the safest picks in the draft. Addresses a need. Um, Only a surprise from the standpoint he went a little bit earlier than we expected. But to me... The, my only issue here, Shane, is that they didn't really maximize the value of that fifth pick. I, I have to think a team like the Falcons might have been able to willing to give up a pick, even if they would have given up, say, a fourth-round pick. I would have done that because they could have got Sheriff at eight. That still kept him ahead of the Giants and the Rams. Uh, so that that would be my only qualm with Sheriff going to the Redskins at five. But but overall, like I say, it addresses a need. Good player. I, I like just about everything about it. I just wonder if they couldn't have moved down a few spots, maybe got a pick, and, and got a little better value for number five overall. I, I agree with you. We don't know if, if anyone would be willing to move up to that spot, but I, I think you could have played the game maybe with, with Atlanta and said you were going to take Beasley. Um, I think they would have believed it and maybe maybe – giving you a little bit of something to move up. But uh, I, I really like Brandon Sheriff, and I think he fits this team really well where you can plug him into right tackle and you can move him into left tackle and if things don't go well with Trent Williams or he gets hurt again. We've seen that in the past couple of years of teams taking the tackle high, playing him right tackle, and then moving him over when they need to. And I think this is a similar situation. That offensive line for Washington, to me, has been extremely underwhelming in the past couple of years, and Sheriff is, is good enough to hopefully help fix that. Well, and certainly you can't go wrong giving whoever the quarterback's going to be the tools that they need to be successful. And, and if they had that much of a conviction on Sheriff, I, I don't blame them for not trying to get too cute. But I just think there was maybe a little bit of meat left on the bone. Uh, number six, the New York Jets. Uh, not expected, but Leonard Williams, the defensive lineman from USC, fell into their laps, and I think they were only too happy to pounce. And I, I give them credit, Shane. We hear lots of teams talking about how we're taking the best player available, but nine times out of ten, they take the best player available at a position of need. Well, in this case, the Jets truly took the best player available because if there was one area they didn't need help, it was probably the defensive line with with uh, with Sheldon Richardson and Muhammad Wilkerson. So uh, Leonard Williams, I'm not exactly sure how they're going to work it. Maybe somebody's going to get traded, but I, whatever happens, I, I like the pick. I, I just think you had to take that shot at that point, and, um, and I just think there's going to be there's going to be multiple teams ahead of them that are going to wish they had taken Leonard Williams, who I felt was the best player in the draft and the only player in this class that I gave my elite five-star grade to. I love it. I think if you're the Jets, this is what you should have been doing for how long in this franchise. Take the best player, figure it out later. And the Jets aren't a team that have glaring huge holes that would have matched up value-wise here. Yeah, they could use a pass rusher and maybe another offensive weapon, but to take to take a Leonard Williams and get that impact where you, you can you can put him in and rotate those three defensive ends keep everyone fresh um, if they don't trade Muhammad Wilkerson uh, I I love it uh, take take the elite player and look back at everything else later so uh, the, he's got to be a guy to follow and and uh, we'll, we'll definitely follow if Washington or Oakland maybe should have done the exact same thing as the Jets. Well, I certainly won't let Oakland forget it. Uh, I, I'm going to remember it. Uh, number seven, the Chicago Bears. Uh, we thought they were going to be targeting a wide receiver, and indeed they did. They chose Kevin White from West Virginia. Uh, after trading Brandon Marshall, that was certainly an area of need. And, and I think arguably their greatest area of need right now. I know there's a lot of focus on the defense in the Windy City, but they made quite a few moves and addressed some of those holes in free agency, particularly with pass rushers. It's not like the cupboard is completely empty. So, uh Good player, address the need, check, check. Uh, give Jay Cutler tools to help him be as successful as possible. Uh, I, I think that uh, makes sense on just about every level for the Bears. 
I think it's a great fit, too. Uh, if you're going to take a wide receiver, get a guy like Kevin White. That's where we've seen Cutler have his most success when he's had those two big receivers in Jeffrey and Marshall. So you, you get something back from Marshall. You basically get a, a younger potential version of Brandon Marshall in there. I, I kind of like that exchange. And Kevin White, if he can play how he did his final year, then he's going to be extremely successful. So uh, I, I like the fit you know, more than anything else. At number eight, we have the Atlanta Falcons, and we weren't sure that a pass rusher would be there for them, but uh, sure enough, Vic Beasley from Clemson was on the board, and that's the direction they went. Uh, I had Beasley as my third, uh, or second or third outside linebacker uh, in this class, I believe. Uh, he, I, I still am a little reluctant with him just because of the size. I, I just on tape, he looked a little bit too much like a one-trick pony for me, but but I'm not going to fault them. I think that's a good situation for him. I think Dan Quinn's going to maximize his ability. He's going to be their version of, of, of your boy, Bruce Irvin, Shane, who you lost your mind over when he uh, went in the first round a few <laughs> years back. Uh, I think he's going to play that a very similar type of role, and uh, I, I think that makes a ton of sense for the Falcons. And, and I was I thought they might trade up for him at five. So to get him at eight, I think was a good move. Um, I think there's some bust potential there with him, but I think he went into the right situation that's going to give him the best chance to be successful. Exactly, and I think he's going to be a heck of a lot better at it than Bruce Irvin was. So I I, I, I like Vic Beasley a lot, and I, I think I have him in my top five of this draft um, because we've seen two years of production from him. He's played his best against the best competition, the best offensive lineman, and this. And then the system fit, as you said, is great. Where you can stand him up, you can put his hand on the ground, you can do so many different things with him. And if if you wanted to rush the passer, um, and when a guy like Todd Gurley said this is the the hard, the toughest defender that he played against in college. I, I, you know, I take that and really think that Vic Beasley can have success. Huge need, and it's exactly what the Falcons needed because all of their Defensive ends, Adrian Claiborne, Tyson Jackson, Malachi Goodman, you know, they're not that small speed type. Vic Beasley gives them an element that they just didn't have before. At number nine, the New York Giants, we thought they were going to be looking offensive line. Uh, Brandon Sheriff was already off the board, so they went with Eric Flowers, the offensive tackle from Miami. And I really like this pick, Shane. I think he's exactly the type of big physical blocker they were looking for. I had him as a legit top 15 overall player in this draft. And I know some aren't that impressed with him. And I see, I I guess I can understand uh, to a certain degree, he's not the athlete that Andrews Pete is and, and he doesn't look as good in shorts and, and he's maybe not as pretty doing it, but you know what he is effective. Uh, he played a lot of really good pass rushers and he got the job done and, and, and he did it on the left side. I think he's probably going to be on the right at right tackle in the pros. And I just think that's a rock solid pick. Is Eric flowers going to be one of the five best tackles in the league? No, probably not. But is he going to be a long time starter for them? And was he exactly what they were looking for? Absolutely. I want to see how this offensive line is going to shake out for the Giants because I think if Flowers does play right tackle and and you move Justin Q inside, you upgrade two positions on that line, and and that's a really good thing for them. I think it's why they took him over in in, in Andres Peak was to get that road-grading right tackle, signing Shane Vereen. Now they have three good running backs and maybe can take that pressure off the passing game. I think Eric Flowers can do that. Um, I just hope they don't ask him to do too much or put him out of position. That would be my one fear. Uh, probably, probably a little high for me because I am scared of his pass-protecting ability. Uh, I think more than you are, Scott. But for, from a run perspective, there might not be anyone better in the strands. All right. At 10, we had a bit of a surprise. The St. Louis Rams chose Todd Gurley, the running back from Georgia. And, uh, Shane, I don't like this pick. I think I've made it pretty clear in the past that I don't believe in taking running backs any running back, even one as special as Gurley, that early in the draft. Uh, And I just think the St. Louis Rams have some really misguided priorities on draft day. A couple years ago, they took a slot receiver in Tavon Austin in the top 10 overall. That hasn't really worked out for them. Here they take a running back when they have issues at quarterback. 60% of their offensive line is still unsettled and they go with a running back in the top 10 overall. And and I understand Gurley, if he maximizes his potential, he can be one of the best running backs in the league, but 
Adrian Peterson is one of the best running backs ever. How many Super Bowls has he won? I just, I just don't like the value, and I don't think the Rams have very good comprehension of value. So I don't like the pick for the Rams for that perspective alone. Uh, I like Gurley. I, I just wouldn't take any running back in the top ten, and certainly not if I'm the Rams and I have much bigger fish to fry. And I, and I understand both Sheriff and Flowers are off the board, and those are two guys that they were looking at, but they were still blockers. You could have taken uh, Andrews Pete there, who I'm skeptical of, but I would much would have preferred them to see them do that. They could have traded down and got somebody a little later, but uh, I do not like this pick for the Ram and Rams. And honestly, I could very well see this being the last year in charge for most of the, the decision makers in that organization from front office to the coaching staff. I just don't see how this is going to work out for them. I completely agree on the running back front. I would not take a running back in the in the top ten, probably not even in the first round. Um, but Gurley does have a chance to be a special running back, and I really like the fit with Jeff Fisher, and I think Jeff Fisher's going to know how to utilize him. I mean, the Rams have had success running the ball with, with Zach Stacy, who we learned later is not very good, with Trey Mason, who I think is overrated, and, and now you can bring in Todd Gurley um, and take, you know, they don't have a quarterback, right? So they, and they can't get the quarterback. They have Nick Foles now. You bring in Todd Gurley to have a run system, run, pound, play good defense, and that's what they can do. So I understand the pick from that perspective where if this team is going to kind of change the philosophy and wants an elite running back to do it, this might be the only way, only way to really do it. Yeah, and we'll see what they do the rest of the way. Hopefully they go out and get some offensive linemen because that's an even bigger priority than ever. If their game plan is to run the ball, they better get some blockers because, as I said, they have far more questions and answers along that O-line. At number 11, the Minnesota Vikings did what everybody expected them to do. They took Trey Waynes, a cornerback from Michigan State. Uh, makes a lot of sense. Top corner in this draft. They have to face Aaron Rodgers, Matthew Stafford, Jay Cutler twice a year. So it uh, makes a lot of sense. Mike Zimmer from Cincinnati, where they placed an a, a emphasis on that position, uh, just, just really makes sense all around. It's not, not the sexiest pick. Not, I don't think anybody was jumping up and down. Oh, yeah, can you believe that? But uh, it makes sense. Makes a lot of sense, and Wayne's has the speed and the physical ability. Uh, plus, I, I really think for him to not being a number one there, we have Xavier Rhodes who played really good. Being a number two is going to be great for him, and, and you can put him on an island if you need to. He did that in college, so but I like I like the fit. A good pick for the Vikings. Cleveland Browns at number twelve take. Washington nose tackle Danny Shelton. Uh, I had that in my mock draft. I think a lot of people did. Uh, makes sense from the standpoint they let Ataba Rubin leave as a free agent, so they needed to replace him. Phil Taylor only has one year left on his contract, but I just don't know that the Cleveland Browns, for using the 12th overall pick, are they that much better of a team now? Uh, wouldn't, wouldn't you have just preferred to re-sign Ataba Rubin and use this pick to address another area that was a weakness? Uh, uh, so so that's my only concern. Uh, I, I don't know if I would have taken Shelton that high, uh, I, I I don't know. I, I I'm very lukewarm on it to say the least, and uh, we'll we'll see what they do the rest of the way. Maybe my opinion will change, but I would say it's definitely it's not in my top third favorite picks in the first round. It's at best somewhere in the middle. And it's just what the impact. It's just the impact that that he's going to have, I, unless he's Haloti Nada. Uh, I'm not Nuts. sure if he's worth the top 15 pick, right? Unless he turns out somehow to be that kind of player, which I don't think he is, and I think you watch him, he's not that, um, then he's, he's not worth this high of a pick. I, if I was them, I would have taken something else. If you really want a nose tackle, wait till 19. Maybe Shelton's gone. He could take the Malcolm Brown. He can take someone else. Well, and, and we'll talk about their pick a little later on, too. They had 19, but... Uh... Devontae Parker, and, and I, I figured this was going to happen. I knew they weren't going to take a receiver because I, mm-hmm. I'm sure they look at it. We signed Dwayne Bowe and Brian Hartline. Problem solved. <laughs> no. <laughs> There's a reason those teams let those players go. Problem not solved. Uh, I would have taken Devontae Parker there if I were in charge in Cleveland, but we'll talk about them in a few picks here again. But uh, let's go on to 13, the New Orleans Saints. Uh, this was a surprise. They took Andrus Pete, the offensive tackle from Stanford. I do not particularly like this choice either, Shane. Uh, uh, Andrews Pete scares me to death, and I can understand why you could become fascinated with him because he absolutely looks the part, and he's got all the potential in the world. But, boy, oh, boy, there's some ugly moments from him on tape at times uh, and lack of consistency and the type of ugly moments that you don't want to see from this 
this guy who has franchise left tackle type talent and potential. And, and sure, the Saints needed some blockers, but was that their top priority? I, I thought the whole point of trading Jimmy Graham was we're gonna we're gonna kind of spread these resources around, address this defense. Get a pass rusher there. Go out and get Bud Dupree from Kentucky, who, who shouldn't have even been on the board at that point, but he still was. Uh, but but defense, one way or the other. And, and Andrews Pete, I think very much boomer bust potential. And my bust alarm is going off like crazy. And any, I think I retweeted the link. Watch what happened to him uh, against Notre Dame this past season. And, th- and there's more than one example of this, but he just got put on his butt uh, against Notre Dame on one play. And, and there's countless examples. That was my issue with him. Off balance, uh, on the ground, uh way too often for a guy as talented as he is. So um, I, I think that was a risky pick for the Saints, and it, it could make them look great. They could have a franchise left tackle, but it could very well go down as a major bust, too. I, I don't know if there's going to be a whole lot of in-between there. But with where the Saints were picking, I I think to get a, a left tackle, if that was their goal, we want a franchise left tackle, you have to take that risk. And I think Andres Peak could be worth the risk. Uh, I, I think he has – that potential, he has the, the body if you can coach him up to it. There are definitely bad moments, and I think it is a, a high high upside and high reward, but there's a big risk that comes with it. So I, I don't mind the pick too, too much. Maybe it was a little bit early for my taste to, to, to take someone um, that has as many flaws as, as Andrews Pete does, but for the Saints, I think it could be a good fit. And you know, Obviously, a priority is, is keeping Drew Brees clean and, and trying to run the football. Well, and I had Pete in the top 20 of my overall board, and, and I understand how you could become infatuated with him, but that's one of those cases where I think I would have let someone else take that risk. I don't know if I would have gone out on that limb. At uh, 14, the Miami Dolphins chose Devontae Parker, wide receiver from Louisville, which I, I think the writing was on the wall once Todd Gurley from Georgia was gone. Uh, There's talk that they coveted him, but uh makes a lot of sense. Uh, Greg Jennings, who they signed, is just a short-term solution. Uh Kenny Stills is more of a complimentary player. Jarvis Landry is more of a possession guy. Now they got that true number one go-to target. Uh, I, I think that's a great fit for the Dolphins and a really great pick. And, and Shane, and after you talk about that, give me your quick thoughts, too, on who do you think is the top fantasy wide receiver for next year among the rookies? Do you think it's Cooper in Oakland? Do you think it's White in Chicago? Or do you think it's Parker in Miami? I like the pick, too. I, I think his situation's very interesting in, in Miami, especially if they don't address running back. This could be a high-flying kind of passing offense because I like Jarvis Landry, but Devontae Parker comes the best red zone threat. He has that size, and he can get down the field. Uh, it's going to be tough to stop the Miami offense, and I think I think all three of these receivers that we've talked about uh, could have an immediate fantasy impact. I still probably – I think Cooper, number one, he has a quarterback, and I think he has the most talent. And I think Parker and White are pretty close. I'd probably honestly give the edge to Parker, who I think has the better QB and maybe the better system. Um, Parker has a lot, lot, lot of upside and definitely a player to look for, you know, for next year in the future fantasy-wise. Uh, next, we have the San Diego Chargers, who traded up to 15 to select Melvin Gordon, the running back from Wisconsin. And this is probably my biggest regret for my final mock draft, Shane. I, I overthought this one. It, it, Gordon to the Chargers made sense, and uh, I, I just overthought it, plain and simple. Uh, and I think I made my, my thoughts clear about running backs in the first round in regards to Gurley, and I don't think Gordon is good as Gurley, but boy, what a fantastic situation for Gordon. And, and from a fantasy perspective, I'm not so sure Gordon wouldn't be the guy I'd target even over Gurley, uh, at least as a rookie. Look at who he's got to run behind. King Dunlap, uh, Orlando Franklin, Chris Watt, DJ Fluker. I mean, that's a, there's some beef on that offensive line. They are made to run block for Melvin Gordon. So uh, I, it, I just my only issue is just I wouldn't take any running back in the first round. But um, it, it certainly made a ton of sense for the Chargers and, and Gordon. Boy, I don't know if anybody's going into as good of a situation as he is. He's the number one guy. They don't have anyone else. Uh, they have complimentary backs in, in, in Danny Woodhead and Brandon Oliver. I think this is the first kind of complete running back the Chargers have had that can stay healthy uh, since LaDainian Tomlinson. And, and to me, that's huge. The, they needed this running back. This offense needs a running back to really work well. So I understand the pick. I probably wouldn't have taken him. I would have waited until round two or three and gotten someone. Um, but, yeah, for, for rookies for fantasy, I think Gordon is better than Gurley. Gurley better long term. But uh, I, think, I think Gordon could have a heck of a year, year one. 
Houston Texans at number 16 chose Kevin Johnson, cornerback from Wake Forest, and that was definitely a, a, an area I think they were going to be looking to address early on. Uh, a little bit surprising, I guess, that they did it in the first round, but uh, we had been saying that Johnson was going to come off the board earlier than expected, and indeed he did. And um, it's one of those where they're preparing for the future, I think, Shane. Uh, they resigned Kareem Jackson to a big deal this offseason, but Jonathan Joseph only has one year left on his contract, is on the wrong side of 30, not a lot of depth to speak of. So Johnson's going to come in, kind of be brought along slowly as a rookie, and then he'll take over that starting spot opposite uh, Kareem Jackson next year. So I, I think in the long run it will be a good pick, but um, short term they probably could have brought in some more immediate help, but uh, I think 12 months from now this pick will look even better. I really like Kevin Johnson. I think he's a phenomenal player, and it's going to be a bigger need for the Texans in the future. I thought they may have some other bigger needs, but when you watch Kevin Johnson be dominant on a bad defense, that usually that cues you in that he can play. So um, Houston, uh, when they've had good corners, when they had good corner play last year, they became really tough to stop, and it seems like they want to keep that going. At 17, after trading down, the San Francisco 49ers chose Eric Armstead, defensive end from Oregon. And, Shane, I think this is one just about everybody had in their mock draft from the day the draft order was finalized, maybe even earlier. Uh, just made so much sense uh, on almost every level. Now, personally, I had Armstead as more of a late first-rounder on my overall board, but I think this is a great situation for him. Jim Tom Sula is a, a D-line guru. If anybody can maximize the potential of Armstead in that 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 odd front, it's going to be him. Hopefully Justin Smith comes back for one year so he can kind of uh, learn for a year from the, the KG veteran. And, I, you know, sometimes, Shane, I, I think the term freakish is overused when we talk about prospects, but I think it's applicable with, with Armstead. He, he truly is a freakish physical specimen in terms of the size, the athleticism, and uh, – and, I think there he's an underachiever to a certain degree, but if anybody's going to maximize that immense potential, it's going to be Tom Sula and the Niners. So um, it's not my favorite pick, but I think it was solid. And, and plus, they traded down and, and picked up some extra uh, resources for before they took him. So solid pick all around. Uh, and and if he if he but uh, if he hits, boy, he, he could be he has the talent to be one of the most dynamic defensive linemen in the league. It's just a matter of can you coach him up to fulfill that potential I, I don't like it I, I really don't and I'm just not a huge Eric Armstead fan uh, I think he is a little bit overrated the potential's there and you can see it obviously um, so if they can coach him up I agree it could be really good but I think it's a little bit more of of a projection and I, I kind, of, kind of in limbo of where San Francisco is or where they think they are right now or are they planning more for the future or for now um, but uh, if, if he hits his potential, great. I, I just have a lot of fear watching some bad games from him that it might not happen. Up next, we had the Kansas City Chiefs at uh, number 18, and they chose Marcus Peters, the cornerback from Washington, who, beyond some character issues, might have been the top cover guy in this draft. And I really like Peters as a player. For the Chiefs, though, I have kind of the same issue as I had with them a year ago when they took D. Ford in the first round. And I understand what they're doing with Peters. They, they see Sean Smith only has one year left on his contract, uh, is getting a little older. So they're preparing to replace him, I guess. Just like last year they took D. Ford to eventually replace Tamba Hali. But, boy, I mean, don't you want to get more of an impact from your first-round pick? D. Ford essentially is going to be two years into his career and still not have a starting spot available. So uh, – I I think Marcus Peters is going to be a good pick for them in the long run, but they just used another premium draft choice a year ago on Philip Gaines. Sean Smith, he might not be in the picture a year from now, but he still is now. I just don't know that that was a first-round priority. Once again, I would have targeted some more immediate help. How about a wide receiver? How about getting a pass catcher that might even catch a touchdown pass next year for a change? Uh, I, I, I just, to, to me, they're they're robbing Peter to pay Paul. They're they're stealing from the present to pay the future, but you don't see many organizations do that. I guess if you have job security like they do and Andrew Reid does, you can do make moves like this, but I would have been more content to get a corner in the second or third round. I think there's going to be some good cover guys available, as good as Peter's is. I think you're downplaying how much they really needed a corner. I, I, I think after Sean Smith, there's, there's not much. I mean, Philip Gaines – did not do anything last year. Probably is more of a nickel guy. So they have a huge starting hole at corner, which which their secondary was horrendous at points last year. Uh, I just, I think Peters is a good pick if if they check out off the field if they like 
you know, which which we're hearing today, if they they thought it was more just um, competitiveness and they like that, then then take them. I, I think it's fine. Uh, yeah, would, would I have probably taken a receiver and offensive lineman? Probably. But uh, I, I think corner was top three need for them. And to address that and get a player that has Marcus Peters' talent, I think it's pretty good. Up next, we have the Cleveland Browns at 19 with the first-rounder they acquired from the Buffalo Bills last year, and they chose Cameron Irving from Florida State, the offensive lineman who they announced as an offensive guard, and I, I think that's where he's going to start out. But I, I believe, Shane, doesn't Alex Mack have uh, out in his contract next year? Yes. So it might be a long-term fit in the pivot, but whether it's guard or center, I, I think Irving makes a lot of sense for them, and, and, and this is exactly what I had them doing in my final mock draft. I had him taking Danny Shelton at 12, and then at 19, I had him taking an offensive lineman, Lyle Collins, LSU. That's obviously a uh, a very strange situation. I'm giving myself a mulligan on that, but um, I, I thought they were going to be looking to address the offensive line, and boy, the good news, awesome offensive line. Joe Thomas, Joel Petonio, Alex Mack, uh, Cameron Irving, Mitchell Schwartz, I mean, those are all first and second round picks starting on their offensive line. So uh, if nothing else, they've got one thing going for them. They don't have anybody to catch the ball. They don't have a quarterback and they've got all these other questions, but if nothing else, they have a good offensive line. Hey, Josh McCown, man. I mean, that's going to be, mm-hmm. be legit. No, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I see that too. And, and if I was Cleveland, I, I probably would have gotten more aggressive to try and get Mariota, but uh, they, they did have success last year with Joel Petonio. It seems like this this regime does know offensive linemen pretty well. So if you really love Cam Irving, I think Cam Irving could be a stud center for the future. And if you have that as important, I, I see it. I, I'm kind of kind of lukewarm on this pick. I think the value's fine. I think the pick the pick's fine. But um, I, I don't know. Just just for Cleveland, Danny Shelton and Cameron Irving. I, I don't know how much better that makes their team. Up next, Philadelphia Eagles at number 20, which I think was maybe the toughest pick to project. I think they certainly had the, the greatest number of possibilities in play. Uh, when I was sketching out my final mock draft, I think I had seven, eight names listed for them initially before I eventually pared it down. And I eventually did go with Nelson Aguilar, the wide receiver from USC, who they did choose there. And I can't take too much credit because I didn't do it with any high degree of confidence, but I'll take it because I said before the draft on interviews that I applaud anybody who gets that one. And I got it, luckily. I'm interested. Who did you, who did you go with for the Eagles in your final mock, Shane? I went with Aguilar as well. So Oh, there we go. But I bet that pick yeah. had the most diverse range of mm-hmm. of picks in the final mock drafts than maybe any other. And and it makes sense. It makes sense on a lot of levels uh, for the Eagles. Uh, and got to give a shout-out to the, the great one, Gil Brandt. Back yeah. on March 9th, he wrote down Aguilar's name in a sealed envelope and gave it to someone. He predicted the, the toughest pick in the draft to project. Two months out, he basically he had it nailed. So uh, there's a reason Gil Brandt's a legend. Uh, uh, what are your thoughts on Aguilar and USC, Shane? And we talked about Cooper and, and White and, and uh, Parker from a fantasy perspective, but where does Aguilar and, and even a guy that we're going to talk about a little bit later for the Ravens, Brashad Perriman, where do they fit in in the, the scheme of things? Aguilar is really intriguing. I, I need more information of just how they're going to use him because I think he's the best slot player in this draft, but for this offense could be an outside receiver. So I'm really intrigued as to where they're going to play him. Um, this is a guy who just uh, has that speed to go underneath, and, and, and when you give him two directions to go, he becomes really tough to stop. So I love the fit and compliment with Jordan Matthews is a great one-two punch for them. Um, and, you know, the Eagles are going to score some points. So I put Nelson Aguilar pretty high up for fantasy-wise. I think he might end up underrated. People could underrate him a little bit if the buzz isn't great. Um, and, and Brashad Perriman uh, will talk about is uh, can't get much better situation than the Baltimore Ravens. Um, but so I, I don't know if Brashad Perriman's going to be ready uh, for year one. He'll be another one like Kelvin Benjamin last year that'll be pretty diverse. And I got nothing against Aguilar, but I just have a feeling that they're going to score points regardless. I think they could have done nothing at wideout and just stuck with Jordan Matthews, Riley Cooper, and Josh Huff, and Miles Austin, and they would have scored more than enough points. I'm not convinced that they did enough on defense, and we'll see what they do through the rest of the draft. But apparently Chip Kelly's feeling pretty good about that defense. We'll we'll see. I I would have uh, prioritized that side of the ball because, like I say, I just feel that – they're going to put the board points up. Chip Kelly, if nothing else, has proven that he can put points on the board no matter who his players are, who his quarterback is. 
they're going to score points. It's stopping others from doing the same. That's the issue. Up next at 21, the Cincinnati Bengals chose Cedric Abui, offensive tackle from Texas A&M, who came into the year as one of the top-rated senior prospects in the country. We thought maybe in the mix to be a top, top three, top five overall pick. Uh, struggled a little bit as a senior as they moved him to right tackle and then suffered a knee injury late in the year. But this is a great situation for Obui, and I really like this pick for the Bengals. And I like it because they can essentially redshirt him. Uh, they still have Andrew Whitworth and Andre Smith, but both of those guys are entering the last year of their contract. So um, one of them will probably be leaving, and Obui by that point will be ready to step in. And here the Bengals might have got a top five, top ten overall type of talent. Uh, in the latter third of the first round, and, and they get to bring him along properly, not rush him. Uh, I think this is a great fit for the Bengals, and, and to their credit, they had the luxury of making a pick like this because they've done such a good job in the draft in recent years. They don't have a ton of glaring needs. They can, they can take a player in the first round that, that they don't need to step in and start immediately. I love it. I think it's a perfect fit. We talked about the Bengals not having huge holes on their team, so take a player that you can bring along slowly and eventually be a franchise left tackle. You keep that moving. Uh, you have the run game, Jeremy Hill and Giovanni Bernard, to do it, and uh, they're just kind of stuck with Andy Dalton, so you might as well build up everything else and hope you can get through. I think Bowie has that talent, but needs coached up and needs to rehab. I, li- I-, I like to fit with the Bengals a lot. 22, your hometown, Pittsburgh Steelers, stole Alvin Bud Dupree, the outside linebacker from Kentucky, who I really thought was and should have gone in the top 10 overall. Uh, and, and it seems like I always like what the Steelers do, Shane, especially in terms of consistency over the years. Uh, very rarely do the Steelers do something that I'm vehemently against, and, and, and this certainly isn't uh, one of those rare exceptions. I'm a huge fan of this choice. Uh, I just think he's exactly what they're looking for. A little bit of an odd situation because they didn't bring him in for a visit, and usually Pittsburgh, more so than maybe any team in the league, they're usually drafting guys that they've brought in for a visit. So even with Dupree available there, I wondered, might they go with Eli Harold from Virginia? But I think they made the right choice. I think Harold's a very good player, but Dupree... Uh, once again, it, it, freakish is overused, but he's pretty freakish when you're talking about size and athleticism, and it's a great fit for him in Pittsburgh. There's a tremendous opportunity for him to come in right away, make an impact, learn from James Harrison. Uh, I, I love it. I love this pick, Shane. One of my favorite of the first, as usual, for the Steelers. And, and, and the last guy that they picked that they didn't bring in for a visit, David DeCastro, a player they did not think would be there late in the first round. And I think that's the same thing with Bud Dupree from everything uh, GM Kevin Colbert saying today. They just did not expect him to be around for them. And so when, when they get that opportunity, they snatch up that value. I, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I, I'm astonished by this pick. I just can't believe it, and I'm ecstatic. Because I think Bud Dupree is kind of the opposite of Jarvis Jones, where Bud Dupree has, has the size, he has the athleticism, uh, he's raw, he needs coached up, and he can do that, and he can kind of attack it from two different angles in the future with those two players and hope that Jarvis Jones stays healthy and improves and that Bud Dupree can be a terror off the edge. Um, it, it was a big need along with corner for them. They addressed it and got a player that I agree should have gone in the top half of the first round. I'm not selling my Jarvis Jones stock yet. Uh, I, I know this is going to be a make-or-break season for him, but uh, I still like Jarvis Jones. We'll see, though. Uh, he's, he's, he's been good when no one's blocked him. I'll say that. Well, at least I got that going for me then. I was a fan. <laughs> uh, up next at 23, the Denver Broncos traded up with Detroit to select Shane Ray, outside linebacker from Missouri. And, uh, of course, the easy joke to be made here is the guy who got picked up the week of the draft for marijuana possession is now going to play in a state where – weed is legal and widely available and and it's on the face i mean it's kind of funny but i think there's there's reason to be a little concerned there at the very least and and he's saying all the right things now that oh there's one you know i'm i learned my lesson but johnny manzel was saying a lot of the right things a year ago at this time as well and and my other issue is being in a 3-4 defense he's gonna have to play outside linebacker and i'm not convinced he can i i guess i'll defer to wade phillips who's a i i don't think it's a stretch to say a defensive genius so if he feels he can do it who am I to question Wade Phillips? But I wouldn't have taken that chance at 23. I think Shane Ray got pretty lucky. I, for all the things he had working against him from the, the recent off-the-field issue to the, the size, the position, the health, th- that he still went to 23, I think that was almost a best-case scenario for him. And I know there's talk that, well, if they didn't take him, maybe Arizona would have at 24 or Baltimore at 26. But 
I, I, I don't love this pick for the Broncos, especially since they traded up for him. And uh, it was funny. I think uh, I think it was our buddy Michael Shoddy on Twitter uh, after that pick sent out the hashtag Puff Puff Pass Rush. <laughs> and I'm surprised. I'll be honest. I was surprised by this pick that Denver would trade up for Shane Ray. Uh, maybe if he falls to you and, and you, you love the talent, but that you have the turf toe, you have the, the rest. Um, and yes, Colorado, it's, it's marijuana is legalized, but you can't smoke it because you get tested in the NFL. So uh, it, it's not like you can just completely wipe that away. Um, I, I, I struggle. Problem. <laughs> right. I, you know, I struggle with, uh, they, you know, they traded Manny Ramirez, who was a starter for them last year and probably be, uh, you know, backup this year and the Lions will use as a backup. Um, so that frees up the position for, De- I love the trade for Detroit. So we'll get to that later. I, I just, I don't know what Denver is doing. Yeah. Do they need a little more pass rush, especially for the future when DeMarcus Ware's gone? Sure. But I, I'm, I wasn't a big fan of Shane Ray. And after all this stuff, I, I want to take him in the first round. I really thought they were coming up for a blocker. Uh, DJ yeah. Humphreys was still on the board. I thought they were just trying to get right ahead of maybe the Cardinals and the Panthers to get that blocker because Peyton, let's face it, everything is riding on Peyton Manning. They are one play away from their season being completely over and maybe entering a long-term rebuilding process. And wouldn't you think the priority be, would be to protect Peyton Manning? I, I, once again, I, I think it's a case of misguided priorities. And uh, was pass rush the top need? They got Von Miller. They got DeMarcus Ware, who I understand is getting older. But you're bringing in a, a third pass rusher as opposed to a starting blocker when Peyton Manning's your quarterback? Uh, I'm not buying that, Shane. Yeah, I, I'm not either. I, I think if you're Denver, your window is so – uh, is is so thin, and maybe that's why they took him because they feel like, well, we got to take chances on some of these players. This is a guy that has a great amount of top ten talent. Uh, we got to go up and get him. But I, I, I wouldn't have done it. I, I would have protected Peyton Manning. I would have tried to help uh, the, this run game get going that that couldn't early last year. I think with their second round pick, the Broncos should use it on one of those protective bubbles to keep Peyton Manning in behind that offensive line because that that would scare me to death if I were a Broncos fan right now uh, with the current situation. Uh, 24, the Arizona Cardinals took D.J. Humphreys, offensive tackle from Florida, which I had heard that they were strongly considering offensive linemen wasn't necessarily their, their most glaring need, but it was in the top group. And, and I think it became easier once the, uh, the top running backs, Gurley and Gordon were both off the board. Uh, as I mentioned, there's talk that they maybe would have taken Shane Ray. So I don't know that Humphreys was their, their first choice, but a good player, good value. Uh, my only issue is to me, he's more of a left tackle Shane. And of course they already have Jared Valdez, who's a very effective guy there. He gave a lot of money to. So, um, I think it's going to be a, a, a fine pick. Uh, it's certainly an area that it could stand upgrade. I like Humphreys, so good, solid pick. Uh, I just think he's going to be underutilized to a certain degree, playing him on the right side as opposed to the left, if that makes sense. I mean, I, I can understand that, but if you're if you're taking him and the uh, you know the, the worst case scenario is he ends up being a great right tackle. He gave some insurance. How about this offensive line for Arizona, what it's turned out to be? you got Jared Veld here and Mikey Yapati on the left side. If if Jonathan Cooper can can turn in his potential at right guard, you have him and then you have D.J. Humphreys at right tackle. This could be a, a downright nasty offensive line, both in pass protection and for the run. Uh, that, it's really interesting to me for Arizona to take him, but I do think that right tackle was a pretty big hole. And this is what you do if you're a smart organization and you have an aging quarterback who doesn't move very well, you protect him. And they protected Carson Palmer because they realized how much they have riding on him, which they noticed last year when he got hurt. So uh, a, a smart move, I think, uh, all said and done for Arizona. Uh, m- might have disappointed the Carolina Panthers a little bit at 25, who I thought might be looking for a blocker, but by that point... Uh, the, the value had kind of dropped off. There were still a couple of guys they could consider, and and honestly, if I were them, I, I we know that twenty third third pick was available. Maybe I would have tried to trade up ahead of Arizona to get DJ Humphreys if I were them. But instead, they took Shaq Thompson, the outside linebacker from Washington, a player that that I think we both like, Shane. Um, and it's ironic because I compared him throughout the process to Thomas Davis. Well, the guy who actually announced the pick was Thomas Davis, and now he gets to go play with them and learn from him. So. Uh, it, it makes sense from that standpoint, but was that Panthers' biggest need? Uh, Cam Newton, I, I, I keep tweeting out the hashtag SaveCam. Cam Newton is just taking a beating in recent years. 
to the tune of almost double any other quarterback. I don't know if Cam Newton's going to survive another year like he just had. Uh, to me, this was a luxury pick that the Panthers really couldn't afford. Now, we'll see if they get a blocker eventually, and I think there could be a good one available at 57. But, boy, when you saw those blockers start coming off the board like they did, I would have got aggressive. And, and as I said, we know the 23rd pick was available. They could have le- leaped up a couple spots to make sure they got one if that was there. But who knows? Maybe they wouldn't even take it, Humphreys, if he was there at 25. I don't know what their plan was because – I think it's clear at this point they do not value the offensive line. They neglected it last offseason, and, and so far through round one, they're neglecting it once again. And they paid the price last year, and it might be even worse this time around. And it seems like Dave Gettleman really goes for that, that value over need, and I think they probably value Jack Thompson highly. Obviously, his athletic ability fit that. And the strong side linebacker was a hole, but not the most important hole with the way this defense is run, and, and it was pretty good last year. So I'm surprised. I, I didn't have Shaq Thompson going in the first round just because of kind of positional value. Um, I didn't think a team would, would, would value that position, would go for the offensive tackle, go for their wide receivers, would go for pass rushers, and, and Carolina didn't do it. So I was surprised by the pick. Um, I don't really love the pick. I don't know if it makes Carolina a whole lot better, even if Shaq Thompson's really good. I don't know if it changes how good this team is. You know what changes how good of a team they are? When Cam Newton's going to get hurt because they can't protect him. That's going to really change how good of a team they are. Uh, 26, the Baltimore Ravens chose Brashad Perriman, wide receiver from Central Florida. Certainly a huge need for them after losing Torrey Smith in uh, free agency. Uh, and Perriman, I wouldn't have been shocked if he had gone in the top 20 overall, and I think that could have been justified. I really like this fit. Um, I think he's got a quarterback now with a big arm who can take advantage of his vertical ability. And I understand the concerns about the drops, but I don't, I'm, one of, I'm in the camp that I don't believe they were the result of bad hands as much as they were concentration, which is, I think, something that can be improved. He's going into a, a solid, stable organization that's going to get him coached up and, and help maximize his potential. Uh, you can learn the little tricks of the trade from an old KG vet like Steve Smith. Uh, I think Prashad Perriman went into an outstanding situation. He might have been a little disappointed that he didn't go in the top 20, but I don't know if he could have landed in a better spot in terms of uh, a place that's going to give him the best chance to succeed. I'll say it's a great fit. Uh, I think it was a huge need for the Ravens, and they needed that deep threat after losing Torrey Smith. My my issue is I just don't like Prashad Perriman very much, and I think I don't think he's – he's really an upgrade over Torrey Smith per se. You know what I mean? Um, I don't know if he's going to give you anything more than that. I think he can be good. I think he can have some good games. I don't think he's ever going to be real consistent for them. And the Ravens don't exactly have the best track record in taking uh, wide receivers. Um, and and, and I, I'm, I'm pretty leery of what Rashad Perriman's going to do. Cause I, don't, I don't think he's going to be ready uh, to come in. So you're going to catch some deep balls, have you know a big game here and there, yes, but I don't know if he's really ever going to be a true number one wide receiver, which is usually the type of per- player to want in the first round. Big need, good fit, but uh, I'm still leery of Rashad Perriman. Well, you kind of just described Torrey Smith, didn't you? And, and the Ravens yes, are essentially getting him at, uh, what, about an eighth of the cost of Torrey Smith? Torrey Smith got $40 million on the open market, so similar type of player for a fraction of the cost. Uh, a, a, a sage uh, move by Ozzie Newsom, as per usual. At 27, the Dallas Cowboys chose Byron Jones, cornerback out of UConn. And uh, this is another one of those, Shane, that I don't love it, I don't hate it. I, I guess neutral would be the best term to use. They were certainly looking to upgrade in the secondary there at corner. Byron Jones was expected to come off the board at some point in that latter third of the first round. Very talented guy. It checks a lot of boxes. Just wouldn't have been the first priority on my list. Uh, to me, Malcolm Brown, the defensive tackle from Texas, I would have jumped all over him if I were the Cowboys at that point. Uh, I, I think we'll talk about him a little later. I think he was stolen. Uh, and even I, I would have even taken a chance on Randy Gregory at that point if I were the Cowboys. And Dallas certainly hasn't shied away from that in the past, taking guys that w- w- have been talented but troubled. So I don't hate Byron Jones, but I don't. He definitely wouldn't have been in my top two, maybe not even the top three options for that pick. But solid. I think it's a solid pick. I think there's probably a drop off a corner um, after this. That that if you're Dallas, you, you want to take a guy here and not wait until round two. I think corner is a big need where they, they, you want that upside. They took an upside press corner, and that's what they needed. It wasn't for me. Would have been who I picked. 
no. Uh, I'm kind of with you that I, I'm, I may have taken that chance on Randy Gregory or someone like that to try and improve his pass rush, but uh, it might be something they can address later, and Byron Jones fits. I think for, from a fit perspective, he, he might be one of the best cornerbacks in this draft to fit the Dallas Cowboys defense. Up next, after trading down, the Detroit Lions at 28 chose Lakin Tomlinson, offensive guard from Duke, a player that uh, I started talking about early in the process that I was a fan of. Uh, very much fits in with what they are doing along the offensive line there. They like those big physical blockers, and not only is Tomlinson talented, just outstanding intangibles. That was an area they were looking to address. I actually had them going with an off, a different offensive lineman in my final mock draft, but I definitely think they, I definitely thought that was a priority for them. Uh, and and Lakin Tomlinson, you can argue, was he a reach in the late first round? Maybe, but there's such little difference between the 28th pick and the 48th pick. It, it, it's, it just comes down to the draft order and team needs. So I, I don't think it was a, a, a gigantic reach by any stretch of the imagination. And, and they traded down before they did it and picked up some other assets. So good, solid pick. And I, I can't envision the Lions regretting choosing Lakin Tomlinson. And that's the key. They, they moved down. Even, in, even if they didn't get a ton from the Broncos, if they were going to take Lakin Tomlinson anyway, why, why not get something? and you get a backup swing lineman in, in, in Manny Ramirez, and you get an extra pick, I, I like that. And I really I love Lakin Tomlinson. I compared him to Larry Warford. So now you have both those guys starting for the Detroit Lions, and you can just bruise. If, if I'm Joyke Bell, I'm super excited about this interior line. I mean, they can just bruise and cut uh, all these defensive linemen and have this, this power scheme that worked pretty well last year. I let Detroit turn around their offensive line. Um, so was it a reach? Yes, but – um, for an offensive guard, you got they filled the biggest hole at left guard, and they got a powerful, smart players. I, I, I really like the pick. All right, up next we had Indy. You introduced this pick, Shane, so I can give my reaction. <laughs> uh, we have the Indianapolis Colts. They selected Miami wide receiver Philip Dorsett. Uh, Boo! The- Boo! <laughs> I hate this with a passion, Shane. A passion. Why, why, why the hate, Scott? I thought Philip Dorsett was one of the most overrated prospects in this entire draft. I think he was number 80 on my overall board, which essentially equates to a third-round pick. So I don't like the value in the first round. Uh, I don't think he has very good hands. And I think historically, is he very fast? Absolutely. But I think historically, you look at some of the fastest players in the draft, how have they worked out? Uh, what's the best-case scenario? Mike Wallace? Maybe your best case scenario, but for every Mike Wallace, there's three TJ Grahams, Marquise Goodwins uh, can go on and on. I, I just I don't think he's a first round talent, and I hate the pick for the need. The last thing the Colts needed was a wide receiver. They were loaded at wideout, at least for the short term. They had other needs they needed to address, and and it's repetitive. Uh, he, people are comparing him to T Y Hilton. Well, guess what? You already got T Y Hilton. You don't need two T Y Hiltons. Uh, you know when 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 Ryan Grigson, Grigson got hired as the general manager of the Colts the same year as they got that number one pick and were able to choose Andrew Luck, I said, this guy just hit the lottery. He's going to have a job for the rest of his life because Andrew Luck is never going to let him you know, completely crash and burn. You're always going to be competitive as long as you have Andrew Luck as your quarterback. You're going to have to really screw the pooch to, to lose this job. Well, Grigson's doing everything in his power to lose that job from the Trent Richardson mistake, which – uh, full disclosure, I, I backed at the time, but in hindsight, it turned out to be a mistake. Uh, this move I don't like. I don't like a lot of what they've done in free agency in recent years. Uh, I, I hate this pick. This is F, Shane, F. Oh, wow, that's, that's that's pretty harsh. Uh, I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like it either. I, I, when when you're a team that just got the torn up, uh, what, Aaron Rodgers threw six touchdowns on you, the, the Patriots, LeGarrette Blunt just ran through your defense in the playoffs like Swiss cheese. Um, I, I think you probably should address the defense. And you, you didn't need Philip Dorsett. You had, you're three strong at wide receiver. It's not a big need. I like Philip Dorsett a lot more than you, Scott. I think he can be a, a T.Y. Hilton type of player. That's not what the Colts need. Uh, they have that, and, and if, even if you don't want to pay T.Y. Hilton the big money, then wait till next year and address it next year. Rookie wide receivers can make an impact. You, you don't have to plan for for the future. I, I just I don't know how, he, how I don't know how he's going to get on the field because he's got two tight ends too. Let's not forget about that. 
So now you got to feed uh, T.Y. Hilton, Andre Johnson, Dante Moncrief, Philip Dorsett, Dwayne Allen, Kobe Fleener, plus you have Frank Gore. Uh, how, I mean, there's not enough balls to go around on this offense, and your defense is still going to get picked apart. They, they better address the defense uh, very quickly uh, on this second day, or, or this draft could be a disaster for them. Could have had any safety in the draft. Uh, whoever their top-rated safety was, they were available. Uh, but not for long, because after the Colts didn't take one, the Green Bay Packers at number 30 chose Demarius Randall, safety slash cornerback out of Arizona State. Uh, word started leaking after that pick that the, the Packers might give him some action at cornerback, and, and he certainly has the ability to match up in the slot and, and, and see some action in that role. He's a very athletic guy. He's a playmaker. He's got, he's got excellent range. So uh, I like Demarius Randall as a player. Uh, I still gave the edge to Landon Collins my top safety, but it, it was pretty close. And you know, Shane, I started talking about Demarius Randall back in December. I was a fan of his, and, and he shot up draft boards, and I thought he was going to be the first safety off the board. He was. I didn't necessarily think it was going to be to the Packers, but once again, uh, I think Ted Thompson showed us we need to expect the unexpected when it comes to Green Bay. And it seems like they're going to use him as a nickel corner uh, at this point, which is which is interesting because um, I think he can do it really well. He, his the issues is the size. So you put him as a nickel corner, size not isn't an issue anymore. And you clear up a lot of those weaknesses, and you use his strengths of being a playmaker of his 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 uh, low hips and and how how great he can swing. Uh, I, I think that's what works for them, and I think it was a need for the Packers. I think nickel cornerback is becoming more and more important in the NFL with so many teams passing and spreading out, and Demarius Randall's going to be perfect for that. And a division we already talked about with three with three good quarterbacks, Matthew Stafford, Teddy Bridgewater, and Jay Cutler. So you need as many pass defenders as you can get. Well, and, and the secondary was definitely a need for the Packers. They lost Devon House. They lost Tremont Williams this offseason. But I kind of thought they might wait to address it like they've done in the past. They, they got Devon House beyond the first round. Morgan Burnett, Casey Hayward, Micah Hyde. It seemed uh, like they, they were able to find cover guys later on, but they obviously really like Randall. So I think it was a solid pick uh, from a both a value and need standpoint. At 31, the New Orleans Saints with the pick they acquired from Seattle in exchange for Jimmy Graham. They chose Stephon Anthony, inside linebacker from Clemson, who I actually had them taking in the second round of my final mock draft. Uh, they were they were obviously linked to him, uh, and, and they needed help on defense. I don't love this pick, though, Shane, because I think the 30 through 50, there's four, maybe even five inside linebackers who can go in that range. I think they could have got an inside linebacker at 44. I would have gone with a pass rusher here. I just don't know. Can you imagine if you had told Saints fans a year ago that you're going to trade Jimmy Graham, who's one of the true difference makers in the passing game in the NFL, you're going to trade Jimmy Graham for Max Unger and Stephon Anthony? Uh, to me, if, if you're going to trade, I would have taken Randy Gregory. Uh, I, I would have swung for the fences. Because then at least then, if you can help Randy Gregory maximize his potential, you can say, hey, yeah, we traded Jimmy Graham, but look what we got. We got a stud pass rusher. Stephon Anthony, he's an inside linebacker, and they and, and they might not have been able to get him specifically at 44, but Eric Hendricks from UCLA, Denzel Perriman from Miami, Bernardrick McKinney from Mississippi State, they're, they had two picks right in the perfect range to take an inside linebacker. I don't think they needed to do it at 31. Well, I think it's the type of inside linebacker they wanted, and I think it really would be Stephon Anthony or Eric Hendricks in, because um, Stephon Anthony has – has that thumper mentality with the athleticism, the drop into coverage. Not something that I think you want to rely on Bernardrick McKinney or Denzel Perryman to do. So I think that cuts down maybe the potential of just an inside linebacker that fits their scheme. They want another Jonathan Vilma, and I think Stephon Anthony's closest to that. Um, I think it's about where he should have went. I think he's a top 50 player. This was maybe the biggest need for the Saints, where uh, that inside linebacker position, David Hawthorne, Danelle LRB have not been – were not good last year. Um, and then and, and you bring them in, I don't think they're starting potential. I'll say that. So I think Stephon Anthony actually addresses a big need in that run defense that was really, really bad last season. So I actually like the pick. Um, yeah, I mean, I, yes, it's going to be compared to Jimmy Graham for forever, um, but you can't do that. I think if you're the Saints, you just you can't do that. You have to make your team as good as you can, and if, if this was a big need and a player you really liked, then, then don't risk it. Then at 32, one of my favorite picks of the first round, the New England Patriots chose Malcolm Brown, the defensive tackle from Texas, who, in my opinion, had no business being available there. I had him as my number two defensive tackle and 17th best player overall, and it, 
you know, Bill Belichick has a reputation for liking to trade down, but even Belichick had to stay pat when Brown was there. Uh, exactly the type of player the Patriots love. Big, versatile. He can play in 4-3, 3-4. He can play end. He can play tackle. He gives you a lot of options. You can move him up and down the line. It was certainly an area of need for them after parting ways with Vince Wilfork. And a great kid, too. A, a real pro's pro. This guy is going to take care of his business, not only on the field, but off the field. Uh, just a, a tremendous pick. Probably one of my three to four. I'm going to say top three favorite pick in the first round. I, I think the Patriots hit, if not a grand slam, a home run or a triple with Malcolm Brown at 32. How, how does this happen with the Steelers and the Patriots just just every year? They're smarter than everyone else. <laughs> Plain and simple, right? I mean, I mean they're, they're not consistently competitive for they're, they're consistently competitive for a very good reason. They're smart. It's it's crazy that that uh, the Patriots get a Malcolm Brown who even though he's, he may not have that that nasty demeanor he's got the size and athletic ability and and you can move him around that's what the Patriots do with the defensive line and they've they've invested in it and there's so many possibilities it becomes so tough he's a great run stuffer he has the pass rush ability he can collapse the pocket he's a perfect Patriots player and to get him at 32 is is just stealing I mean I, I think it's a great pick I, I think with with Bud Dupree it's one of my two favorite picks in this draft I'm with you Scott well and and just want to point out one more time we're recording this between day one and day two of the 2015 NFL draft so uh, I'm sure I speak for you as well when I say we reserve the right to to tweak our opinions on some of these choices based on what the teams do the rest of the way. There, there's still a lot of draft to go. We're only 32 picks in out of 256, so uh, th- th- our opinions can definitely change uh, based on what they do the rest of the way. But uh, just wanted to check in and give you some of our initial thoughts, initial impressions right away as soon as possible uh, on all of those 32 first-rounders. Uh, so with that, we're going to call it a show. Uh, and, and guess what, Shane? There are only 363 days, 4 hours, 54 <laughs> minutes, and 18 seconds left until the 2016 NFL Draft. Tick-tock. Tick, 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 tick-tock.